0: invite you You have a copy of God's Word to join me. We're going to read
1: four individual texts. The first you probably would know by heart, Genesis chapter 1,
0: verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The psalmist, The 99th Psalm, verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble, he sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter, the text we know familiarly as the Great
1: Commission, Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came
0: and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me.
1: Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And then finally, a text very familiar, as we use it regularly for our benediction. Second Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Second Corinthians 13, verse 14.
0: The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray.
1: Father, in these moments now, we pray for your aid, your help by your Spirit, that you would work through me as I preach. You would work in your people as they listen. Our prayer, Father, is further that for those who may not know the Lord Jesus today, that are in this room, that this would be the day of salvation. This would be the day of their repentance and faith, the day that they
0: find all that they need in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, lift our eyes. We are a forgetful people. We lose sight easily. The horizon becomes as high as we look because of that. We fail and we stumble and stagger. Oh, Lord, help us this day by word, by spirit, for it is in Jesus' name. We began a series of messages last Sunday
1: explaining the proposed confession of faith. We started with the article
0: on Scripture. Today, we take up the second article, God. Now, some ask, does this matter all that much? I mean, after all,
1: We're just ordinary Christians trying to live our lives in a very hostile world. Does it really matter all that much that we know these things, that we have this kind of information available to us? But you see, my friend, the loss of sound doctrine is ultimately the loss of Christianity. We're left with the responsibility, each generation, of being guardians and teachers of the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is every Christian's responsibility. If you think doctrine doesn't matter, just wait until your children or your grandchildren are challenged by ungodly worldviews and false teaching, and you don't know what to say. All you have is a little cute saying or something sentimental, but nothing of substance we don't know what we believe and why we believe it, how will we ever be able to convey these beliefs to the next generation? When the Apostle Paul writes letters to churches, frequently his pattern is the first portion of the book, doctrine, the second portion, living. But he never
0: separates those things. Belief precedes behavior.
1: And if you're not sound in your belief, it follows you will be unsound in your behavior. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce dissension, envy, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining godliness as a means to gain. Or Jude, who starts his little letter saying, I was eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's a pretty good translation. What he literally says is this, the once for all delivered to the saints' faith. That's a rather lengthy description
0: for the faith. Once for all delivered faith. My friend, if we don't know what we believe, please hear this. This is
1: destructive for the church. The content of the faith here is delivered to the saints, not the theologians, not the leaders, not the pastors, and not the theology
0: geeks. The saints, all the people of God.
1: So essential. I mean, this holiday weekend, if you want an illustration of what I'm saying, You know how many people in the United States today and this weekend think this is nothing more than a three-day weekend, nothing more than a three-day holiday? It has no meaning for them beyond that. And even over the course of time, the shift in the meaning of Memorial Day has, has slid just a little bit even in popular culture. Initially, the idea was a memorial to those who died in uniform for the sake of the freedom of the nation. And eventually it slides, well, we're going to remember all the folks who've died. I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but it was a slide from the meaning. And I'd say culturally it slid even further in that now, hey, three-day weekend, cool, let's go to the lake. Don't have a problem going to the lake. But my, my friends, we ought to give thanks to God, even as Christians, that there are folks willing to die for the sake of freedom. But let me give you something that's far more dangerous to the life of a nation and more specifically the life of a church. You lose sight of why you're doing this and you quit doing it. You lose sight of what matters and the whole thing becomes rather dull and boring and nothing more than something that's expected that you do.
0: Without any heart or content. In our confession, we say we believe there is one and only
1: one living and true God, an infinite intelligent spirit,
0: the ex nihilo. I think that's the only Latin in the whole confession. And then we explain it out of nothing. The out of nothing creator
1: and sovereign ruler of heaven and earth, inexpressibly glorious in holiness, worthy of all possible honor, confidence, and love. We further believe in the Trinity and the unity of the Godhead. God is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, equal in every divine perfection and executing distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. Now, if that sounds a little deep,
0: and difficult, good. Because we're talking about God.
1: And it ought to humble us to think that even a single paragraph
0: gets it all. Just not possible, is it? You see, my friend, we do believe in God. Now I'm praying today I not
1: make the rookie mistake of many young preachers who when they get their first opportunity to preach, I remember one fellow said, I decided my first sermon was going to be on God. But who needs notes for that? I can talk about God. Five minutes he was in trouble. The water's deep here as well as very broad. And all we're going to do is scoop up a cup or two out of an infinite reality. Our problem is, my friends, we want a God who's like us. Can I point out that every single idolatry is some version of making a God whom we either control or who looks like us and with whom we are comfortable. That's the God we want. That's not the God of Scripture. We'll summarize this in three ways as we consider the triune God who is gloriously above us and graciously with us. The triune God who is gloriously above us, graciously with us. First consideration the God who creates. Now, we looked at this when we did the series recently about worldview. In the book of Romans, the first chapter, the Apostle Paul looks back on the beginning and places man's rebellion and responsibility against the background of the God who has created all things. Now, the questions and theories about the origins of the universe, as well as the early history of human beings...
0: Has been a minefield for the church for a long time. The issue, of course,
1: brought to a head by the publication of Darwin's On the Origin of the Species by Natural Selection. Others before Darwin had theorized about versions and concepts of evolution. Darwin was the first to do so without much need of a creator. While he made allowances for the existence of God, his theory at its core was atheistic. Now, from this point forward, churches, ministers, theologians, ordinary Christians have had to contend with questions about the age of the universe, the age of the human species, how we arrived here, where we're going, living, dying, etc., etc. It just opens up a Pandora's box. Now, in our confession, we have included the essential of belief, without much detail on this issue, something occurred to me this
0: week, ever so often, something occurs to me. And of that every so often
1: something occurs to me, I'm guessing about 10% of the time it might be useful.
0: Occasionally it occurs to me, I share it with Laura and she's not impressed, so I figured, We seem to struggle with details
1: about two aspects, especially, of life
0: as Christian. And it's places where I think we're going to have to show some humility, eschatology,
1: the end of all things, right? Now, let me see if we can all agree on this. We believe the Lord Jesus will bodily return to this earth, that he will raise the dead, his people, to life everlasting, and those who have never believed to eternal condemnation. He will bring with him the souls of those who have already died in Christ. If we're alive and remain, we'll be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord.
0: Is that, is that amenable? All right. But you know where we start getting in trouble, right? So when's it going to happen?
1: And Is, 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 is there two? Is there a rapture and then a second coming? When's the millennium? Who's the Antichrist? What's the mark of the beast? And we, we like to talk about I like to talk about it. I just love, in fact, I take certain, I'd say, perverse pleasure in the fact whenever people ask me questions about my version of end times, they look at me just, they don't know what to do with me. And I find that entertaining, personally. You see, we can affirm without qualification our belief in the second coming of Christ right? Details we can differ on and still be brothers and sisters in the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Can I point out something else? Here's the parallel. God created the heavens and the earth
0: and God created Adam and Eve, literal people. There's a fall and the consequences of sin. When did that
1: happen? long time ago how long ago long time ago. i've realized that time references that start getting into tens and millions tens of thousands hundreds of thousands millions, eventually it becomes meaningless because all things being equal i figure i'm here lord willing family history maybe another 25 years nominal
0: much beyond that, I'm not sure what to do with it. How did God do all that? He spoke it into existence.
1: What do the details look like? My friends, here's where we have to have a little humility. All right? We, must, we may not agree on the age of the earth. We may not agree on the nature of the days. We can have arguments about how the creation narrative works. We must, however, agree God is the creator of the universe from nothing. The material universe is not eternal and, it, and somehow self-created. I, I didn't believe anybody would try to pull that one off, but apparently there are some in the realm of physics who are asserting there's such a thing as the possibility of something coming from nothing. Can I, I, just, I just want to point out, philosophical impossibility.
0: Out of nothing, nothing comes. We must agree Adam and Eve were actual persons. More on this in a future message.
1: We must agree sin was outside the world when the world was originally created. We must agree that death is the result of sin. We may have personal convictions on other elements. These are the essentials, my brothers and sisters. This is the place we must camp and say, This far no further, here we stand. God's the creator. Now, my friend, if you don't believe God's the creator, then please understand you are unloading an essential to the very center of the Christian faith.
0: It's a foundation stone. Gone. Second, we not only believe in God who
1: creates, we believe in the God who reveals. God reveals Himself. To us, we consider these truths about God oftentimes under the title of attributes. Attributes are realities about God; they are the perfections of God. Now there are multitudes of these attributes. We shall touch merely on five of these. First, God's omnipresence. Now you say, "Well, now wait a minute—is that word in the Bible?" Not even once, is the concept everywhere. A missionary told about going to India years ago and seeing Hindu worshipers tapping on trees, knocking on trees and stones and whispering,
0: are you there looking for a God? The Christian never asks this question we
1: may have a sense that God's not present and ask if He's there. What we usually mean is, do you actually care? God is always present with us. Proverbs 15:3: "The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23: 34. "Can a man hide himself in secret places, so I can't see Him declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth?" declares the Lord? God is omnipresent. For believers, this is terrifying. A God who is everywhere at all time. No place more so than any other place, for God fills His creation. Jonah can pray from inside a fish in the depths of the sea and know that God hears him.
0: It's not muffled. It's not faint. God is present.
1: Worship presumes God's presence. When Jesus has the discussion with the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the woman will say, now you guys are always arguing about, you know, it's at the temple, it's Jerusalem, and we think it's this mountain. So what is it? What does Jesus say? Well, first of all, the Jews are right because the temple is at Jerusalem. But the mistake over and over again throughout Israel's history was believing that somehow God was a territorial deity. See, Jonah makes that mistake. He thinks if he gets far enough away from Jerusalem, God's not going to pay attention anymore. But it says he's headed for Tarshish, He was going to the furthest place he could think of in that day to get as far from Jerusalem as he possibly could, and God interrupts. Because God is not just the God in Israel. God is a God of all creation. God is omnipresence. And folks, that presence is a comfort. R.C. Sproul in One Holy Passion, the boundary between God and the world is a boundary of being. To step into His immediate presence would not be to step into the future or the sky, but through a dimensional veil. That is, God is always with us. I think of the story in the book of 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, Elisha, and the city in which Elisha's dwelling has been shut in by an invading army. And they're everywhere. They fill the hillside. Elisha's servant. Master, what are we going to do? They're everywhere. He said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. All about Elisha. My friend, the Lord is omnipresent. With that, God is omniscient. We refer to the knowledge God possesses. God's knowledge. What are we saying? The perfection of God, whereby He, in an entirely unique manner, knows Himself and all things possible and actual in one eternal and simple act. What do we mean by that? Well, first of all, God's knowledge. God's knowledge is absolute and complete. God never learns
0: anything. God never has anything that makes him go, Huh. Hmm. Well. I mean, doesn't that just simply define us all the time? Psalm 139, O Lord, you've searched me and
1: known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Acts 2.23, this Jesus, Peter preaching day of Pentecost, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God knows. God's wisdom, His exhaustive knowledge, His understanding of all things. Now how does that help a believer? Listen to A.W. Tozer from Knowledge of the Holy. No talebearer
0: can inform on us. No one can run to the Lord and say, look what Doug did. Right? No enemy can make an accusation stick.
1: No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to shame us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our characters can come to light to turn God away from us since He knew us utterly before we knew Him and called us to Himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us.
0: God's omnipotent. A.W. Pink said it this way, he who cannot do what he
1: will and perform all his pleasure cannot be God. God's power is beyond our comprehension. Psalm 62, 11, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, power belongs to you, O Lord. I love the way Spurgeon summarizes this. God's power is like himself. Self-existent, self-sustained, the mightiest of men cannot add so much as a shadow of increased power to the omnipotent one. He sits on no buttress throne, leans on no assisting arm. His court is not maintained by his courtiers, nor does it borrow its splendor from his creatures. He is himself the great central source and originator of all power. In the Old Testament, he is referred to with the term Shaddai, almighty. The New Testament word, "Ponticrata," all-powerful. God's power is seen in creation. He speaks. He comes into existence. In preservation, He's before all things, Colossians says. In Him, all things hold together. In judgment, no one escapes. No one resists. In salvation, this the most glorious demonstration of power. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The
0: power of God to what end? Salvation. You know, every
1: time you hear, well, you might mess this thing up. My friend, I'll mess it up every single time. Let's not beat around the bush. If it's up to me to stay
0: saved, I'm going to hell. Period. Full stop. I'm doomed. God
1: in His power, the person and work of His Son, and the power of the Spirit saves us, preserves us, keeps us. This is the power of God. To Him who is able, I love this, the end of Jude, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever.
0: Amen. And my friend of God is omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent. Can I give you the outcome of that? God's sovereign. God reigns. He doesn't share His reign.
1: He doesn't bow to anyone. I I love these folks who try to say, well, God is so sovereign, He gave up His sovereignty. That is a nonsense statement.
0: Sovereignty surrendered is not sovereign. Our problem is we want a God who will share sovereignty with us.
1: And God doesn't give up his sovereignty. There is not, to quote R.C. Sproul, a single rogue molecule anywhere in the universe. Our God is in absolute control. But I bring up this fifth attribute because without this we miss who God actually is. And there are others. We could talk about other elements of God's attributes, His mercy, His kindness. There's all sorts of things. But my friend, if we don't understand the holiness of God to some extent, we have truly missed who God is. This attribute, more than any other, defines God's nature. The text we got to read it together say, hey, folks when it comes to the book of revelation i hear people say do you get excited about the book of revelation i sure do what's your favorite you like the 20th chapter no my favorite chapters 4 and 5 i could live in chapters 4 and 5 because in chapters 4 and 5 god's on the throne everything's all right Chapter 5, the Lamb has come and opened the scroll and nothing happens except by His sovereign hand and everybody who's redeemed gathers around that throne and worships Him who sits upon the throne and the Lamb by that throne forever and ever. There ain't no need for a controversy over chapters 4 and 5 no matter your view of end times. The ultimate declaration is the Lamb
0: wins. But what was in that statement? What do the living creatures say as they are around that throne? Holy, holy, holy. That sounds like something else, doesn't it? Isaiah, the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I lifted up praying his glory filled the temple and around him the seraphim each with six wings with one they covered their faces
1: with one pair the other pair they covered their feet the other they fly around that throne and they don't cease day and night forever and what is their cry
0: Holy, holy, holy. Why is this so important? My brothers and sisters, one of the things that is destroying the church in America today is the loss of the thrice holy God. God is reduced to a cosmic bellboy
1: an errand runner who has nothing better to do than to wait on you hand and foot and make sure you're never sick and nothing bad ever happens to you. A God, on the other hand, by some, who's just a God doing the best He can, the God of open theism
0: who tries, but He can't help it. This thing's really out of His control. But oh, my friend, the God of Scripture,
1: holy, holy, holy. Now, we don't let that strike us the way it should. Be careful you not avoid the declaration of that text. Isaiah is a morally righteous, faithful, covenant keeping Jew.
0: He is a prophet of the Most High God. But when he sees God on his throne, what is his reaction? Woe is me. Now, who uses that anymore? Let me give you a, a modernized version. I am doomed. I'm, I'm doomed. I have
1: seen this holy God. And, and what does he say? I am a man of unclean what? Lips.
0: Why? Lips. What was Isaiah's role? Prophet.
1: Spokesperson for God. And what's the first thing that he's most aware of his wickedness before a thrice holy God, the very instrument that he uses to proclaim the very word of God. And what does he say? I am unclean of lips and I dwell with a people who are unclean of lips and I have seen the Lord. Literally what he says, if you want an accurate translation, when he says I am undone, that's a good translation. What it means is I'm disintegrating. I am falling apart
0: because I have seen the one who is holy, holy, holy. Now why make such a big deal of that? My friend, if you do not capture this about God, you denigrate the cross, you demean your very salvation. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God is love, 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 grace, 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 sovereign, 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 holy, holy, holy. When I hear people say, well, you know, I kind of
1: get bored with all this stuff, kind of get bored with worship, but I just, I,
0: I don't want to do with that. It boggles the mind. If there's a
1: word that would never come forth from Isaiah's lips in that vision,
0: he would have never for a moment said, Bored. How do you and I, as sinners, ever get near this thrice
1: holy God? Only, only because one who came who was as holy. As God, God in the flesh, one who walked among us as man, yet God holy was He, righteous in all he did, all he thought, all he said, every action. And then in sacrificial love, takes our sin upon himself, the sinless one, God in the flesh, and God punishes our sin. The believers sin in His Son. God does not sacrifice His holiness to
0: save sinners. He sacrifices His Son. My friend, because He became sin for us, we became righteousness. If you're not a
1: Christian, here's the whole reality. It's an exchange. Your sin for his righteousness. Here's how the thrice holy God receives
0: sinners in the cross, in his Son. Now, we didn't get to the Trinity today. We're going to save that for next week. How's that? But hear my words, Christian. Behold your God rejoice in who He is, wonder, be awestruck. You want to describe Him and you're frustrated? Good. Good.
1: It lets you know you're not up to the task because He's bigger than anything we can say, more glorious than our words can convey. But my friend, I say this to you, that thrice holy God says to you, Come unto me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Isaiah has his sin purged from the coals on the altar, symbolizing sacrifice for sinners. Glorious sacrifice has been made for
0: you two millennia ago. By the very Son of God, Christian, this should be your joy and delight. Father, we find ourselves humbled, shattered. and know a thrice holy God who set his love upon us and made a way for us in
1: Christ. May we rejoice in him. May we give thanks to him. May we praise our glorious God,
0: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It is in Christ's name we pray. Stand. Sing with.